It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. This is a last chance saloon. Because if we don't really take the decisions that are vital now, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up. We will end the moratorium on extracting our huge reserves of shale, which could get glass flowing as soon as six months. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 4 Fool's Gold. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in. Another amazing week. Some extraordinary moments from our Westminster Masters. Of all the nonsense and hullabaloo down there in Parliament, a scintilla of light appeared from the government front bench. They banned fracking. Let's speak to the man who might be finally applauding the Tories but only the second time since Mrs. T went off to meet her maker. He is the green entrepreneur and environmentalist, Dale Vince. Dale, morning. Yeah, morning, Ian. It's crazy, isn't it? It's like you, you get so many U-turns in a row, and in effect, the government are doing donuts in the car park. <laughs> they are onto the donuts. It's a, this would have been a donut you would have applauded, I assume. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was brilliant. And we waited, I think, you know, with bated breath to hear what he would say. He did commit to the manifesto. And then finally, somebody, one of his advisors said, no, he means he will definitely unban the unban of fracking and therefore reban it. But unfortunately, at the same time, he said he was not a fan of onshore wind. And though he hasn't said it, he may take away what Liz Truss tried to do, which is to bring back onshore wind and give it a level playing field in planning terms. We haven't yeah, heard that yet, but that could be the downside. Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? I mean, I, th- I said this all along. I, I, I never thought Liz Truss was really going to – I never thought fracking would happen under her, but it was the mood music she needed to create, wasn't it, to that little wing of the party, and they would have just kept it going forever and ever, and it would never have, you know, never have happened. But – you're absolutely right because the, the the onshore wind issue is just as, and, and some might even argue, more imperative right now to at least have clarity on that. Yeah, so I mean, he's done one good thing, and and I, I fear he may do a stupid thing in maintaining the ban on onshore wind. But what we haven't heard yet is whether or not he'll take away the other stupid thing that Liz Truss set out to do, which is to ban solar. Yeah, how do you ban solar? I mean, what, what's the thinking there? Do, who lays in bed and goes, do you know what? I'm so pissed off with solar. I f***ing hate the sun. I'm going <laughs> to ban it. Yeah. How, how do you arrive at that conclusion? What's the thinking process there? I don't, I don't know, but to the extent that Liz Trust shared her thinking, it was because she wanted farmers to have a choice. She must have felt that they were being forced to have solar in their fields. And the way it works, this ban, is that land comes in categories from one to, I don't know if it's four maybe, uh, agricultural land. Best quality is up at number one. And currently, solar is not allowed all the way down to 3A. And she planned to include 3B, which I think is like 58% of the country or something like that. Yeah. It's not food producing land, but her argument was we can't have solar because we need to be food independent. Um, and this, it was bullshit. Yeah, indeed. Uh, we should take a moment as well, while because uh, there's a lot of stuff that's interlinked that we're going to talk about uh, on this episode. And uh, in particular, they, I nearly fell off my chair when I read this because I know we're used to seeing kind of stories about profits and all the rest. But uh, I'm just reading here this morning that Shell's profits have jumped uh, to an incredible 8.2 billion pounds yeah now that makes the case again doesn't it as if it needed to for a windfall tax ffs 
You might think so. I mean, they've they've postponed their financial statement, haven't they, for a couple of weeks? And I, I get that's fine. You're allowed to, you know, so just hold on a second. And, and one wonders whether this timely piece of news, bearing in mind Jeremy Hunt has already made a, a lot of mood music around the fact that you know he's going to have to make decisions that, uh, that might involve raising taxes, etc. You'd think as a chancellor, if somebody says, "Look, there's an absolute open goal for you over there," that he might just go, "Well, that's clearly the one." Yeah, I mean, I think there's a good chance there will be another go at the windfall tax. Maybe they'll do it properly this time. Uh, I think it was Rishi who didn't do it properly last time, actually. You know, he started it 12 months too late, allowed a 90% exemption for investment and, and stuff. I mean, it was it was a nonsense tax. And the government are talking about having to make difficult decisions. But usually when they say that, it means they're going to take money from the poorest among us, not the richest. And of course, oil companies sit in that second bracket. Are they really going to harm the oil industry? It won't actually harm them because it's a windfall profit, but that's how they'll see it. I hope that they do. And here's the thing. Liz Truss is 45 days in office. I've cost us as a country nearly 40 billion pounds. Is that all? Yeah, this is the black hole, right, that Hunt is now looking to try and fill with uh, pension money, with benefits money, that kind of stuff, and hopefully with some oil money. It's 40 billion quid for 45 days in office. That was the cost of the Liz Trust disaster. And that's why we're in a particular pickle right now, bigger than the pickle we were in before she came to power, which is big enough. Well, this ties in. It's interesting. I I just very uh, crassly alluded to Margaret Thatcher at the beginning, but of course, she had two windfall taxes. She had one... Uh, on energy, she had one on banks, um, which brings us to this story as well, that Barclays are seeing their profits soar past the sort of forecast levels because of the rise in interest rate. This will apply, of course, to other banks, one has to naturally assume. Uh, so they're looking at, at, at two billion quid's worth of profits there as well. So, I mean, some might argue, you know, let's invoke a bit of Thatcherism into this. And that was precisely her point, was that this wasn't profits that they'd gained because of an amazing business acumen or some kind of you know incredibly intelligent diligence. This was just off the back of rising interest rates. Yeah, and and the same for the oil companies, of course, off the back of rising fossil fuel prices. And you know she's entirely right. I'm not sure I ever agreed with anything she ever did, except the liberalisation of the energy sector, uh, not the privatisation. I think that was a mistake, but to let other people come in and compete. But anyway, I don't understand why the current Tory party don't get it. Windfall profits are excessive, and they do come from the pockets of ordinary people. You know, there's a crisis on one side of our economy amongst people that can't afford bills, can't afford to feed themselves, rent their homes, that kind of stuff. And on the other side of our economy, you've got mad sums of money being made by bankers and oil companies. There is a correlation. Yeah. And you have to wonder now, if ever there was going to be a time when all of this nonsense would be put to one side, uh, and again, just bearing in mind how often they've said Jeremy Hunt's only been the chancellor for about half an hour, and he said it about a hundred <laughs> times that you know this is going to be difficult. We've got to make di- we've got to look at all areas that we can make a saving, or all areas where we might be able to scoop some money back. Well, there's two massive areas there staring him right in the face. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Question from yeah. James on LinkedIn. He says, Dale, what are your thoughts on hydrogen as a renewable fuel source? Is this the game changer some are predicting? We did loosely touch on this last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my answer is no. I think hydrogen is hyped beyond its real merits. Um, People talk about the hydrogen economy and, you know, this, that and the other about it. And I think, yeah, we touched on it last week. For me, it's one of those kind of um, things that people look at 
and, and overlook that what we have right now, for example, in transport, we have batteries, electrification of cars, buses, trucks, even planes. It's all coming. And hydrogen will have a role, a niche role in some of those transport sectors, uh, for example, to be carried as a fuel in electric airplanes. That, that will work uh, for national flying, for example. But the idea that hydrogen is going to come along and uh, take over is, is silly. There are fundamental problems with it. The energy density is is uh, is very low. What does that mean, Dale? Well, per let's say cubic meter, you've got uh, much less energy in uh, in hydrogen than you have in other fuels. Okay. So you have to carry a lot of it. You need a like a, you know, got like it. a yeah. tanker behind you or something. Yeah. Uh, it's got advantages as well. I mean, I think one of the big roles for hydrogen is in the gas grid, where all devices on the gas grid, boilers and and cookers and stuff like that are able to take 20% hydrogen in the gas mix. That's existing yeah. today. And we can make hydrogen when we have too much renewable energy. And we can put it in the gas grid or keep it and turn it back into electricity when we don't have enough. So I think it's got a great role there to sure. play in balancing the, um, the energy system. Uh, what about this story? Uh, we said a lot of direct action taking place, whether it's people having a pop at works of art or climbing bridges and the like, gluing themselves to the road or just generally making a nuisance of themselves in order to hammer home a very real point. Huge UK support for direct action, it seems. And this sort of goes against some of the mood music of what you might hear on, well, phone-in programs like my own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how do you feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, look, I totally understand the right to protest is so fundamental that I think when you start picking and choosing which one you can and cannot like, then you sort of slightly dilute your entire ideology of, of believing in the right to protest. Yeah, that's right. Free speech then becomes a kind of, well, you can have free speech, but uh, but you can't, right? Correct. And the, the, the poll was, was clear. 66% of people support taking nonviolent direct action. The nonviolent part is probably really important. Uh, and that's twice as many people that are up for it than, than are against it, which is, you know, pretty strong. Although the level of support dropped to 40-odd percent amongst Tories, um, perhaps to be expected since they're in government and, and yeah. the tar target. But still 40-odd percent, which is interesting. Yeah. You know, if somebody had said 4%, you might say, well, that's what you would could have expected. But, yeah. You know, nearly half of Tories are supporting direct action. That's right. And the same study showed 75% of the public, including Tories, support solar power. Well, I just can't work out how you don't. It's like saying I don't support breathing, isn't it? I mean, it's just such a nonsense thing to not support. Yeah, I agree with you. And and I don't understand how our government can be so disconnected, even from their own party, their own members, their own supporters, as well as the general public on this topic. And reality, right? We're in the middle of the biggest energy crisis ever. And solar is our cheapest, fastest thing that we can deploy to to help start to solve that. Yeah, you've got you've got all this oil stuff uh, in the North Sea. You can employ billions and trillions of pounds digging it up. It's dirty. It pollutes. It's horrible. People die while trying to, you know, source the stuff. Or you've got this stuff over here called the sunshine, which is free. Yeah, it is actually. It needs no public money. <laughs> it's just an extraordinary equation. Yeah, it is. You'd think maybe, and we, we talked about this before, didn't we, in the States where the organisations like Republicans for the Environment, et cetera, who work on the very simple basis that whatever you think, you know, there is uh, th these are new business models to be pursued. It makes business sense. Well, it does. That's the crazy thing about where we are right now. 
Liz Truss proposed to borrow $45 billion to give away in tax breaks to the richest among us, uh, which is a mad thing to do, and, and it caused the markets to tank the pound and, and jack up the cost of interest and all that kind of stuff, basically put that $40 billion hole into our economy. But for the same sum of money, $45 billion, we could borrow that in order to build out the 50% of green energy that we're missing. And that would be like a business investment, the kind of thing that businesses do, right? Borrow some money, invest it in something that pays you back. And we could um, have created upward of a million jobs and, yeah. uh, and billions and billions of pounds of actually taxable activity in our economy, real growth, real GDP growth for the same sum of money put to a different purpose. So, I mean, the money is around. We could find it. What the markets didn't like is that we were going to borrow it with no way to pay it back because we were giving it away as tax breaks. Indeed. What about this? UK security at risk as the government prepares to prepare for, prepares to prepare. That's a lot of preparing uh, for extreme weather, uh, sparked by climate change, of course. Yeah, I mean, the key to this report is that the government have failed to prepare, is what uh, a committee from the Commons have said. Um, they cite some recent weather you know, uh, events that we've had with a million people losing power flooding, uh, a handful of deaths, that kind of stuff, and saying these are the kinds of things that are, are going to increase under climate change. We're talking about a risk to energy, to transport, to communications, and to water infrastructure. And the government have no plan to protect that. And they're saying that's a, that's a risk to our country, and they're calling on the government to do something about it, which is a little bit like the pandemic, right? We had no plan to deal with uh, a pandemic. We used to have, and uh, one of the cuts that the Tories brought in was to take that away so that we were caught in the pandemic unprepared. Here's a question from Vicky on Facebook. I still struggle to get steady supply of your Green Devil products from Ocado. Uh, when will there be in other stores? Good question. Yeah, it is a good question. When can I go down the co-op, you know, at like <laughs> half eight in the evening when I'm hungry, Dale, and get some of your chops? It's a good question. It's really hard to break into the supermarket sector as a small independent. Uh, the big guys have got it pretty well stitched up. And you have to pay to play. You have to pay to be in supermarkets. It's a crazy world. We we may not be in Ocado much longer. I'm not sure. Uh, we've, we're, we're still trying to get into other supermarkets as well. We are opening a new match day shop. This probably won't help, but we're opening a new match day shop. We're going to stick a couple of freezers in it so that our, nice. our fans can at least take stuff home with them when they go. But until we have a major breakthrough, uh, all I can say is I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. So you have to pay to be in that. You pay them to be in their shop, and then they still make a profit on what it's, they It's sell. incredible. They take a cut, and then they get you to pay for what they call marketing, which means they pay you to advertise you in their shops or online. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, Tony Soprano couldn't have matched that. <laughs> I think he, really? you're right, actually. Uh, here's one about sticking with the theme of food. A new study suggests cutting meat consumption to two burgers a week could save the planet. And this comes under that sort of category we've talked about often. I know, Dale, obviously in an ideal world, you would like to see you know, a vegan world. You'd like to see X, Y, Z. But we've often stumbled on that point. It doesn't take everybody to do everything at the same time. It just takes lots of people to do a little something. And that's part of what this feeds into. Yeah, that's right. I, I read this and I was looking for a figure. I wanted to know, um, you know what, what they saw it being reduced from. I got the two to two burgers a week, but where do they see it starting from? Uh, but it doesn't say. It does say that meat accounts for nearly 60% of greenhouse gases from food production, which kind yeah. of like you hear that figure or something like that figure quite frequently. But it's a bigger report than that. It looks into rates of deforestation. It looks into heavy industries such as cement and steel uh, and basically says nobody's moving fast enough and a whole bunch of sectors are moving in the wrong direction and that we're heading for two and a half degrees global warming. I think there's a separate report we're going to talk about in a minute that says the same thing from the UN. 
How many burgers do people eat a week, I wonder? <laughs> I don't know. Um, There's bound to be some characters out there who are probably stuffing a couple a day, I'd imagine. Yeah, bound to be. Uh, I do when I go to football. Uh, but they make the point, and this is a really good point, that we've seen the devastation uh, in terms of uh, weather, climate impact, from 1.1 degrees of warming, because that's where we are now. And in the last couple of years, we've seen the heat waves, the floods, all manner of things. We're facing 2.5 degrees right now, and every fraction of a degree is super important. So it's a, it's a kind of interesting thing to read. And, and it's good to have another report that says we've got to reduce meat consumption. Uh, that ties into our green gas plan, because we can grow grass to make gas instead of feed cows. And there's a great kind of uh, overlap between those two sectors. If we change our diets, we free up land to make the gas that we need to replace fossil fuels. Yeah. Uh, interesting. You talk about what is needed. Uh, I, I saw the United Nations uh, report on this. Current emissions pledges will lead to catastrophic climate breakdown, according to the UN. So not fast enough and not enough. Yeah, and they're saying the same thing as this report we just spoke about. We're heading for 2.5 degrees. They say the good news is that post-COP26, we were heading for 2.7. So there has been some movement, but only 24 countries in the whole world updated their national plans after COP26. And, uh, you know, that's out of like, I don't know, 180 in the UN or something. And that's not good enough. These are called NDCs. There'll be a big focus at COP27 that starts next week. And, uh, you know, we're just not doing enough. We're at 2.5 degrees is, is where we're heading. But there's another report out from the IEA, the International Energy Agency, this week that says, actually, there is a bit of good news. By 2025, emissions from fossil fuel burning will peak. And that's incredible. That's just a well, couple of years away. Yeah. But they also say we're heading for 2.5 degrees. That may be some good news, but it's not good enough. And, and we've got to quadruple our spending on renewable energy. Uh, Phil on Twitter says, uh, Dale, did you see the Wrexham player who got stopped wearing a pair of football boots with an anti-Tory slogan on it? What would you have done? That's a good question. I don't know. I would have uh, I would have took a look at the rules to see what kind of trouble we might have been in if we'd allowed it. What we have done is taken a look at the rules around the suggestion from last week that we put Just Stop Oil on our shirts for our cup game uh, in a week or so. Yeah. Uh, our first FA Cup game. We've looked at that and the rules are pretty clear. It has to be a charity. So we're going to struggle with that one. But um, can't, can't Just Stop Oil become a charity? Isn't that the... Maybe not in time. And uh, F the Tories <laughs> probably can't either, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is what was on the boots, right? It was, yeah. Do you know what was written on the boots? Do you know? Yeah, F the Tories. Oh, was it? The yeah. full word or just the letter? Three asterisks and an F. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's not what my old nan would have said. She just used to say F the Tories. <laughs> I don't doubt it. <laughs> And what about this, Doug? Because of all the things we've discussed here this morning on this recording, we don't have to worry anymore about you know two point five and um, issues around solar panels and goodness because we have and we forgot this a brand new environment secretary. Yeah, and that is Trace Coffee. Yeah, uh, she was health secretary for twenty seven minutes under Liz Truss, and now she's the environment secretary. Can she save nature? I have no idea, but I'm reminded of the Tory party conference where I was oh, yes. blissfully going, yeah, going up the escalator, minding my own business. And there's a media scrum on, on the opposite escalator. And, and I look and there after this woman on my left hand shoulder, Therese Coffey. And it didn't matter how hard I tried to get away from her. She kept following me like I was a human shield. <laughs> she apologized afterwards. <laughs> she is. She's a, a very well liked person. Um, she likes a cigar and she likes a drink. And yeah, she's so she kind of an apparently she'll sit around and have a natter with anyone. Hmm. 
And I, I've, in my head, I've now got it down as a character from EastEnders for some reason. I can't just sort of can't lose that sight that she might be sat there in the Queen Vic with her new environmental brief. I can see. Got to sort out these f-ing polar bears, and I, I can see the, <laughs> I can see it happening. But is she the person to solve the problems? Do you know what? I don't know, and I think we're just going to find out, aren't we? There's a new face in charge of the environment. And I mean, so far, I mean, what the government are planning, I think they start discussing next week the the bonfire of 570 EU regulations that overwhelmingly protect nature. And so there's no sign of Rishi Sunak reversing course on that one yet. Uh, that's the that's the big thing we need to see next. Yeah, well, Trace Coffee does carry a lighter around with us, so we know that <laughs> maybe there's the danger point. Um, this in from Chrissy, final one. Uh, Dale, is there any way we can help get a general election, please. And that is not unreasonably being called. Even some conservatives are saying, look, the only way to solve this mess is a general election. You know, Rishi Sunak's been there for a matter of days as we record this. Um, uh-huh. Markets seem to have reacted reasonably well to that. But, I mean, this is just, you know, he's on day three, for God's sake, at the moment. Yeah, so first I've just realised that when I talked about last week and this reference to football shirts, I said just stop oil. That was a subsequent thought we had because we looked at general election now first. That was a suggestion oh, yeah, yeah. that was given to, to us. And same problem, it has to be a charity. So I just want to say that, correct myself. Uh, we then looked at just stop oil. That doesn't look possible either. But in terms of um, a general election, there is no legitimacy uh, for for Rishi Sunak. Uh, this trust had less, funnily enough, because she wanted to change course completely. He says he will maintain the 2019 manifesto, but we've been through so much, haven't we? I think it's five prime ministers now in six years, uh, five Tory prime ministers in six years. And, you know, how many of them just simply have no mandate, haven't fought a general mm. election, don't have the support of the public of this country? I think, you know, probably nearly half of them. But, of course, they say that it's the party that's uh, voted in, not the person. Uh, no. I know. They'll say anything and do anything to cling on to power. And I think they will go the full two years until uh, late 24 when they simply can't avoid yeah. a general election. And, and it's ironic to me because I remember when Gordon Brown came to power in the same way. He replaced Tony Blair. There wasn't a general election. And the right wing media hounded him into having one. The same right wing media now that are quite happy for us to flip flop between Johnson Trust and Sunak and whoever may come next in the next two years, because he is also trying to pull together a fractious party, right? And that's going to be difficult for him. He hasn't just got the problems of the economy and the yeah. environment and the energy crisis and all that kind of stuff. He's got his own internal politics, which is what seems to keep bringing these people down. After all, it was fracking that brought down Trust. And it was indeed. Listen, Dale, that's it for this episode. Have a cracking week and we'll speak next Friday. Uh, thank you very much, Ian. Don't forget, of course, you can follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there as well. Make sure you follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash Vince, facebook.com slash Vince, and also on Insta, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Zero. Carbon. East off.